Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. I am going to read from Jeremiah, book one, chapters two to ten. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I form you in, your, in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord, God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today, I appoint you over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This be the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Today's reading is from Luke, verses 21 to 30. Then the Lord began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All of them spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. The proverb is, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And the Lord said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. And when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet of Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard all of this, all the synagogue of Israel were filled with rage. They got up to drive Elisha, Elisha him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on 
his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our reading from the writings of Swedenborg this morning comes from Divine Love and Wisdom, section 268, paragraph 3. The evil and false things that we have validated stay with us, becoming part of our love and therefore of our life. Proofs of what is evil and false are simply motions away from what is good and true. And as they are multiplied, they become rejections, since what is evil distances and rejects what is good. And what is false does the same to what is true. As a result, proofs of what is evil and false amount to closures of heaven, because everything good and true flows in from the Lord through heaven. Once heaven is closed, we are in hell, in some community there where congenial forms of evil and falsity hold sway with no possibility of getting out. Now, I, I have a quick question before I start my sermon. Every, every week, we read a Swedenborg reading. And sometimes I wonder how many people have even a clue what is being said. <laughs> so this week, it's okay to acknowledge it only by acknowledging that we don't understand is how we learn. Who had a clue what Swedenborg was talking about today? Maybe you'll... Anyone? What's our Swedenborg reading? Was anyone confused by it? Okay, I just want... I, my lovely wife, who I did not introduce earlier, the Reverend Leah Goodwin, um, did a beautiful job reading it. But this, this language is language that people study. And it's language uh, that was written... And the people 200 years ago, when this church was founded, people could read this and instantly know all these concepts and things that people were talking about. The whole notion of our education, training, and thought shifted in the 1920s. So things written before the 1920s are really difficult for us to understand. So you shouldn't feel bad if you don't understand it. But I, I want to translate it a little bit because otherwise you might not connect what I'm saying with why I'm saying it. <laughs> the evil and false things that we have validated stay with us and become a part of our love and therefore a part of Basically, when we do selfish things, it becomes a part of our soul. The more we do selfish things, the more we close our eyes to what is good. The more we close our eyes to what is good, the less able we are to do what is right. Eventually to the point where we are incapable of seeing anything that is good beyond ourselves. Does that make sense? That's, that's what that was saying. It was just saying it in 200 years ago language. A little confusing. But it's important that you all understand that. Our scripture reading from Jeremiah today 
is about Jeremiah, Jeremiah being appointed to go out and to be a prophet. Now, the prophet in Scripture, the prophet is a person selected by God to give a message to the people. Now, it's important to note, and Jesus tells us the prophet is not accepted in his own hometown. I need to let you know something. The prophet, the prophet is not accepted a whole heck of a lot of places, okay? The prophet is not a loved person because the prophet walks up and never ever says, you won the lottery, everything's going well, great job. The prophet doesn't say that. The prophet everywhere walks up and tells you, hey guys, you're not doing what's right. The prophet walks up and says, your desire to grow in power, status, and structure, and it, 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 you're going the wrong way, and it's leading you to certain doom. Most prophets, when they are called, including Jeremiah, their first response is, oh, dear God, no. Don't. I don't have the ability to do this. I don't have the ability to carry your message, to go and face the kings and the armies to tell them they're doing bad things. I can't do that. And God reassures them. I will give you the words. I will be with you. Jeremiah, by the way, is called the weeping prophet. Doesn't turn out good for him. They don't listen. The kingdoms fall. One could even say that Jeremiah is a failed prophet. But here's the thing. When, when, when the people have been kicked out of their home and they look back to what Jeremiah said, then they look at Jeremiah and go, I get it now. I realize we should have listened. We closed our ears. And in some way, the great thing about Jeremiah is that Jeremiah is a reminder to us that we close our ears. A reminder that we need to have them open. We need to be looking for the prophet because if we don't, our kingdoms will fall. Now, in our world, one of the big things in, in, in seminary, whenever you study the Old Testament, they always ask, what is a prophet? You always have to take a class on the prophets. What is a prophet? Who is a prophet? Without fail, Martin Luther King is always considered a modern-day prophet. A person who gave voice to the powerless. A person who told people things that they didn't want to hear. And a person who was not rewarded for that message. The thing is, the vast majority of people, when they look at who Martin Luther King was and what he did, they failed to understand that towards the end of his life, you know, he was not popular. Everyone loved the concept of civil and human rights. People really supported him. People started backing him. And then he said, the danger of our economic system, our military industrial complex, and our corporate structure is going to destroy us. Even the liberals left. He started to say things 
that made his longtime friends turn their back on him. He was a prophet in much the way that Jeremiah was. Because when we look now at the the situation of the rising gap, uh, gap between the rise and the poor, the issue, how people are feeling alienated from their own lives, all of these things were things that were proclaimed. These are the things that were going to happen. Robert Reich has picked up this this fight and is, is talking about the way in which our economic system is leading us into peril. Now this is where I'm going to throw a little screwball at you. These are all really important things to look at and to think about. But it's really easy for us to sit here and point the finger at corporate greeds, at uber-rich people who live lives that we can't even begin to understand. Who live lives of their problems are just on on a different spectrum. It's easy for us to point fingers. But you know the old saying, right? When you point your finger, you have the three pointing back at you. So here's my question. What if the kingdom that we are to worry about primarily is not the political system. Swedenborg talks about the concept or the correspondence of the kingdom in scripture is actually our own spiritual life. What if we have an internal kingdom? What if we have internal things that rule us and govern us? Wouldn't that mean that there are parts of us that might be leading us away from God. Parts of our kingdom that direct us away from what is good. And that there are also prophets that come to us to try and help. Anyone here ever sat back and they're like, why didn't I listen? Why did I do that? I knew what was right, but boy, I really wanted boy, I really wanted that other thing. It's what I desired. It's what I, oh, I knew it wasn't right, but I desired it. that's, That's what Jeremiah is speaking to. That's what all the prophets speak to. The rulers are desiring stability, power, wealth, riches, sensual pleasures. We have desires. Are you ready? I believe... We think we know what's best, don't we? (laughs) We do. Come on, let's be honest. We all think we know what's best. But more often than not, we lead ourselves into perdition. We lead ourselves into difficulty in our lives. Our desires can lead us astray. And we usually have things we have learned, things we have taught, telling us not to do the things that lead us astray. Who are our prophets for ourselves? Who, who, Who are the people? What are the things that help us transcend our desire and love God and our neighbor more? Now, what I, 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 love, I love this. We would never hurl. This is a, a horrendous reading, right? Let's, let's go and throw a guy off a cliff. Let's go do that. We would never throw that guy off the cliff, right? 
But we do. We do throw the guy off the cliff. We take the things that we've learned. We take the promises and commitments we make. We take the truths that we read about in Scripture and we throw them off the cliff because of our own desire. I've said this time and time again. Temptation is an amazing thing. We all struggle with temptation. The funny thing is, the thing we love the most, the thing that is causing us the problem is the wrong choice. No one is ever tempted by the right choice. Does that make sense? Our temptation comes when our selfish desire meets what we know is right. Don't get me wrong. This is, it's not always, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying there's a great light side. It's saying, oh, well, I know it's right, so it's going to be easy. Temptation is hard. That's why it's temptation. But temptation is always a battle between our selfishness and what we know is right. Because if what we know is right and our selfishness are the same thing, it's not temptation, right? Like if, if what is good and what we want are the same, we're, we're there. If we, it, it just doesn't happen the other way. Somehow when we feel temptation, that temptation is the call of the prophet. That is God saying to you, you are appointed to preach what is loving and good and true to your kingdom. Does that make sense? That is temptation. No one ever, no one ever says, boy, I really know it's right to eat all this chocolate, but I really love not eating it. Right? <laughs> no one ever says that. It's always, I know I have a diet and I shouldn't eat it, but I really want to eat it, right? It's always the desire, the thing that is combating our love is, is always the wrong choice. So how do we do it? How do we get past it? When, I'm going to give you something that I learned this week. Go Boston University. Right, I, I was reading a book this week. And it talked about the fight between our desire and our understanding. And this beautiful piece that I read talked about imagination as being the cushion between desire and understanding. And talking about the way in which who we envision ourselves to be. So in those moments of temptation, it's about closing your eyes and saying, who is the person I want to be? And picturing yourself, not just thinking, what is right, what is wrong? Picturing yourself as the person you want to be. Imagining you doing what you know is right. Imagining you elevating yourself amongst the thing that is pulling against you. The imagination will create a picture or a vision 
And when you start seeing yourself in that way, when you start seeing yourself in that bit of imagination, it redefines what your love is. Does that make sense? It, it, that imagination can help you transition your love from, or your desire from one thing to another. I don't know if that makes sense. We've known this for a long time. It's called visualization, right? You can write those messages on your mirrors. You write every, go Patriots, every locker room of every professional sport and college sport and high school sport has a message about visioning yourself winning. It has a message about conquering the difficulty and it tries to make it not just an intellectual, I know that I have practiced and I have the ability. They say, imagine yourself catching the ball. Imagine yourself doing the great spin move. Imagine yourself resisting the negative self-images, the self-hate. Imagine yourself transformed in your struggle to who it is you want to be. That's the prophet. That's the message. And that's the battle where we struggle. We shouldn't beat ourselves up too much when we don't make the right choice. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he can be viewed as a failure because the kingdom fell. But the people in exile looked to him to understand what does it mean to reclaim who they were. They looked to him to help restore their kingdom and their temple. They looked to Jeremiah and could create a vision of what would it mean to live a holy and good life. So our reading from Swedenborg, it ends with something that really bothers me. Really, really bothers me. It says, once heaven is closed, we are in hell. In some community, there will be congenial forms of evil and falsity that hold sway with no possibility of getting out. I want to let you all know something. In this world, in this life, if you want out, the door is not shut. If you want to grow in love, the door is always open. If you are willing to imagine yourself in moments of... If you have temptation, the door is still open. Temptation does not exist if the door is closed. Temptation only exists if the door is open. You are appointed. You are called to bring the message of love and charity to yourself. In times of temptation, listen to the prophet and imagine the restoration of the kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, 
consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.